0: Well, chapter 15 of, uh, Romans begins with this phrase, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So, the, the issue then goes back to the conversation in chapter 14, that some Christians who are struggling, especially newer Christians, maybe coming out of different backgrounds, are struggling sometimes with things that were going on back then. The biggest issue that they struggle with, was over the meat that had been offered to those who worshipped idols. It's a problem in First Corinthians eight. It's a problem here. And it could be uh, that there were Jews who were very strong in the Jewish law who f- took offense of to that. It could be also that some Christians who were Gentiles who came out of that background thought it inappropriate. Now the position of Paul throughout Romans in in, in Corinthians is that idols are nothing, so that meat sacrificed to idols mean nothing and that it's okay to eat it. However, because it was such a difficult issue with people who were weaker of faith, he warned against causing problems or lack of unity with those who were weak in faith by eating that meat and causing them to stumble. Now, as I said last week, we're talking about issues that are of some degree of moral religious reality. We're not talking about, you know, when a when a, a person says makes out a list of do's and don'ts on Sundays that you ought to follow, and if you don't follow, they get upset. We're not talking about a judgmental person uh, looking to make you conform to their rules and regulations. We're we're talking about people who are struggling. We have an obligation to help them come along. We have an obligation to help them grow in their faith, help them mature, maybe get past their weakness. But whatever we do, we don't simply want to take our position and use it in such a way as that we hurt them. And so Paul talks about we who are strong, and he includes himself in that group. Paul would be included among those who understood that any meat offered to idols was not an issue. Paul, because of his obvious spiritual maturity, could understand the bigger picture. And because he can understand the bigger picture, he could see the need to help those who are a little bit weaker in the faith, to help move them along, to disciple them, to teach them. Part of the problem might be sometimes that we have people who struggle with things because we don't do a good job of teaching them, discipling them, getting them to a place where they need to be. So he says our goal isn't simply to please ourselves. Our goal is to help those who don't have the strength we have. And notice he talks about pleasing ourselves because he's going to talk in just the next verse about pleasing the neighbor. Our purpose is never to please men ever. Our purpose is always to please and honor God. We certainly don't want to put ourselves in a position to please us. And I always look, whenever I deal with things, I look and I deal with people and situations, I always kind of look and say, is this about pleasing men or about pleasing God? Because that's the issue. The issue is always about The honoring of our Lord. Now, Paul is saying you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're simply pleasing yourself. But notice what he says in verse 2. Each of us is instead to please his neighbor for his good, in other words, to his edification. Now, he's not saying your goal is to please your neighbor as in position of pleasing God. What he's saying is this. Instead of doing this to please yourself, think about your neighbor. Not mankind, but your neighbor. And then he clarifies it for that person's good or for their edification. For their good would be for their well-being. In other words, you're not giving in just to please them, to make them happy on this situation, particularly about eating meat offered idols, You're taking a younger, weaker brother or sister in Christ, and you're looking for a way to help them become edified or to grow. So the idea of good, for their good, is for their maturity, for their edification, and it's for their uplifting. Our goal then is to not tear each other down, but to lift up one another, even in those difficult times and sometimes Paul would have to be difficult with people. you see that in the church of corinth and he was difficult for some person, but the long term goal of when he was difficult was to get them in the church to a place where they needed to be. Paul is saying, as opposed to focusing on you, focus on your neighbor, do things. For the t- temporarily do things that will help their good, make them to the good, for their edification. As opposed simply to making yourself happy. Now that's not an easy thing to do. And as I shared last week, sometimes it's difficult to make that judgment. Notice what he says in verse 3 Even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you. Fell on me. So Christ, it's kind of an allusion to the death of Jesus. In his death, Jesus, and some see Psalm 69 as a messianic psalm, Jesus took the reproaches of even those who were crucifying him. Now, that's, that's you, you look at what Christ did, and Christ died even for those who were putting him to death. Well, if, kind of the idea is if, if Christ can die for those who were putting him to death, surely, You can lay aside some of the things that you desire for the edification and the building up of others. And Paul goes on and makes it interesting. This sometimes gets a little bit lost in, in this passage. He makes a fairly profound statement about Scripture. He says, whatever was written in earlier times, and he's talking about Scripture, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here's what he's saying. Whatever was written, now whatever was written in the past was written for the audience to whom it was intended. Firm believer on that. You always need to understand the context and the recipients of any book of scripture. Doesn't matter if it's Genesis, doesn't matter if it's Ecclesiastes, doesn't matter if it's Habakkuk. You've got to know who the relator was written to, to have some idea, or at least have an idea who was written to. That brings out the context. There's all sorts of factors in understanding that. However, regardless of who it was written to, it is still useful for our instruction. Now, even Jesus says some books are more helpful than others. You know, So we would understand that, for instance, the book of Genesis is far more helpful to us than the book of Lamentations. For that reason... I pre- even though there's 50 chapters of Genesis and only four of Lamentations, I never preached our Lamentations. Uh, and I shouldn't say I never have. I have once. At, at some point, I made a habit that I have preached from every book of the Bible once. And once I've done that, I forget what age I was. I said, I never have to do that ever again. Because I can say I've done it. I once preached a message, a really beautiful message from the maps. And it was, it was quite inspiring. Y'all have no sense of humor today. The wind just blew all the funny right out of you. Because that's funny. I don't care what you say. It's always good to see the staff laugh at every joke I tell. Some of them do that. Anyways, the the thing about it then is while all of the scriptures then can be for our instructions, some obviously more helpful than others. But notice what he says. Not only for our instructions, he he categorizes it this way. So that through perseverance and the encouragement, or the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is a place within the realm of God. When we're followers of Christ, we're following God, there is this sense of hope, this confidence. Hope is a confidence. Paul writes, there are three things that remain faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, love have an eternal value. Even into the next life, we will love each other in the next life. There is still a faith in God. And there is the realization of the hope. Hope is not the wishful thinking that Christ will work in our life. It's the confidence that we have of Christ working in our life. Scriptures provide that confidence. Now, it does it in a couple of ways. Through perseverance, that is encouragement, and, I mean, that is endurance, perseverance and endurance, and then encouragement. So to persevere is to endure. It is, it is a word that, that talks about sometimes the the athlete, who is in course of training for an athletic event, has to persevere and endure over the rigors of training. It is not a passive acceptance. It is an active overcoming. And the encouragement is that which gives us confidence. It's that which lifts up our spirit. So that Paul is saying, y'all need to follow the example of Christ, who, you know, took on what he took on of our sins, but also in doing that, just as we quoted from Scripture, the Scripture was there to help and instruct. And if they were the Romans to go back throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, they would see passages that would give them encouragement. Be holy for I am holy. Love your neighbor. Uh, You know These types of verses and passages of Scripture that would strengthen them up in difficult times and bring about unity. Then he says this, then in verse five, 5, 6. So that, I mean, verse 5, he says this. Now may the God who gives that perseverance and encouragement, may that God grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. In other words, he wants you to be of the same mind. He wants you to be in agreement. Now, what, he, what he's saying is, y'all need to get on the same page. And if you're, you're, here's the church, and there was there, you know you're you're in Rome in in, in mid fifties, and there's just a handful of Christians, some Jews, some Gentiles, and you're struggling with things, and persecution is starting to come, and you're worried about the silliness of whether you can or can't eat meat offered idols, and some of you are feuding and fighting. And I talked about this last week. He said you need to get with the same mind. The mind is that which focuses on the things of God. That's what we do. We focus on the things that honor God. And when we don't focus on the things that honor God, then that causes us difficulty. And so this whole unnecessary, convoluted, made-up controversy over food offered to idols is indicative of not of people who are on the same mind, but of people who have different agendas, trying to accomplish different things. So those of you that are strong, put it aside for now. You don't have to overpower those who are weak. Let it go. And notice what he says in verse 6. So that with one accord, you may with one voice, notices glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the purpose? Glorify God. Do it with one mind. One voice, not separately, together. We come together and worship, and uh, we glorify God. Um, on Sundays, because of the size of our church and the people that visit and the size of our facilities, we have three services. So we, we still glorify, and, and one of them is traditional and two of them is modern. And we still glorify with one voice, even though we're all not together. Uh, we try to do things like when we have baptism and Easter, on baptism and Lord's Supper on Thursday before Easter, we are just one service, so we're with one one mind. The importance is to glorify God. And say this if I was to walk if the and I are out visiting or out traveling, we'll visit churches. And we try to find Baptist church, in particular what we want. But if if I was in a church and for some reason They did Gregorian chants. That's not my cup of tea, but you know what I would be able to do? I'd be able to sit there and worship the Lord with it. I would. If I went to a charismatic church, I might look around and say, I don't know about this. But you know what I would do? I would find a way to glorify God. I've had to sit in Catholic churches. I sit in. Episcopalian churches, my goodness. I've seen churches where you know, there were actually women preaching in a robe. At the end of the day, you always find a way with one mind in one voice with other followers of Christ to glorify God. If you can't do that, you, my friend, have a very big problem. That's what Paul was saying. And then notice what else he says. And these last few verses go pretty quick. Therefore, in light of all that, accept one another just as Christ also accepts us with the glory of God. Christ accepts all the glory of God Accept one another. You can have some minor disagreement, sure. Um, some people may never get over meet, being offered to idols. They may never reconcile that Accept one another. You ever been in, in a part of a congregation where some people didn't accept other people who were followers of Christ? Try pastoring that mess. I've had to do that. It is a frustrating experience. And sometimes you just look out and say, you understand, God's not with you, right? I mean, you understand, he's with me, he's with them, but those of you who won't accept other people, he ain't with you. Because Jesus accepted them, and you won't. It's crazy. Simply crazy. For I say that Christ has become a servant Notice this verse 8, because now he's going to talk. This is where you get that he's kind of talking to the, some of the Jews about Gentiles. Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promise given to their fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God. In other words, for their mercy, his mercy. So that's what he's saying. God has, Jesus came into this world to be a servant to the Jews. He was a Jew, came as a Jew. At his incarnation. But the bigger purpose wasn't to save the Jews. It was so the Gentiles could experience the mercy, so all could experience. And then he quotes four passages of Scripture. A couple from the Psalms, one from Deuteronomy, one from Isaiah. From Psalm 18, he says, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing your name. Among the Gentiles, David said, I will give praise to you. Deuteronomy 32, he says to Moses, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's in Deuteronomy. In Psalm one seventeen, verse eleven, Praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. They're quoted by the way from the Septuagint. So if you turn to your version, it may not be you know it may not be exactly a quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And then Isaiah verse chapter twelve, verse twelve says, There shall come to the root of Jesse, and there shall uh, come to the root of Jesse, and he who rises to rule over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles up. So Paul is saying, Look, way back in the Old Testament, which is what they call scripture. And he called it the Old Testament, but back in the scripture. It talked about the fact that God was going to bring the Gentiles to his kingdom. <laughs> and uh, there's a little one waving. Hi, Skyler. She's just looking at me like that is one smart, good looking guy. She can't even see that far. She's paying more attention than some of you. She has more hair than some of you, too. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's saying, that's what's happened. So why are you fighting over. Food offered to gods that don't exist. You know, to us, doesn't that seem kind of silly? It does to me. Think about in all the church squabbles we've seen. Some of you have been around longer. I mean, you've seen more than I have. You just had to have to pastor through them. I mean, years from now, people are going to say, well, that was just silly. I look back and say, that was silly. You ever look back at some of the squabbles and say, well, that was just dumb? Anybody ever did that? Any of you ever part of those? <laughs> and you were the one that was being dumb? I wasn't. So here's the thing. Look how he finishes in verse 13. Now may the God of hope, which you talked about, this is like a benediction, fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that you will abound in that hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit giving you hope. That God of hope peace give you joy. You need to have joy. Listen, of all people, shouldn't Christians have joy? Well, should. Now, I know times get tough and there frustrations. And you wake up at 2 in the morning and you start thinking about things. You know, two, when I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, that is the worst time to try to solve problems. Because they always get worse. And I never find a solution. Listen. In our life, there's difficult times. I like got that. But despite all of that, joy being a follower of Christ should rise to the top. And the sad thing was some of these people were so busy fighting over the silly food that they lost the joy. They were in the middle of pagan Rome where they worshipped false deities and their ancestors. And they were getting to a point where they were starting to worship Roman emperors. And here they had people who were Gentiles coming to Christ and Jews who were coming to Christ. And with all that other garbage, they were griping about some people were eating food, offer titles. Now, you extrapolate that into our world. and There are a lot of silly issues we worry about that have no impact. On the kingdom of God. None. From whether or not I wear a tie. To the color of carpet. To whether or not there's a pulpit. To whether we sing out of the 1954 Broadman hymnal. Or the 1975 Broadman hymnal. Or we don't use a hymnal at all. There's a lot of silly things. We can fight about. So you have this great encouragement of us. And this is why I say over and over and over. And we're actually, we're having a conference here, Saturday, uh, for the local, for uh, our revitalization conference. And one of the things that I will tell, i got to speak to some of them, is what matters most, and I've this the last two sermons, focus on how do we honor God. Focus on how we reach people for Jesus, and everything else will take care of itself. Because our real battle Is against those who oppose the spreading of the gospel and the glorification of God. So, uh, the next time that I teach, the 15th chapter takes a little bit different movement. um, And then kind of begins to wrap up the book of Romans. Uh, So, do you have any questions about this part? at all. Joe, I know you're looking at your clock. I'm going to talk about the mission stuff. So hang on, I'm not letting them out this early. You're all right. I lost the clock, so I don't know what time. There it is. So uh, in case you ever wondered, there's always a clock up there. always. Well, always. And if you come to the contemporary, when all y'all are over here, there's a countdown clock that tells me how long I have left to preach. But understand, that's just merely a suggestion. It's all it is. It doesn't. Obviously, we have some on staff who never pay attention to the suggestion of how long they ought to preach. Yeah, I didn't say Troy's name, Tom. You did. <laughs> told Troy next time he preaches, he owes you 20 minutes. So, now, let me, uh, you, um, let me talk a little bit about uh, our mission strategy because we had a really cool thing Sunday night. appreciate Joe once again. Joe's, Joe's, Joe's idea, Joe's vision, Joe did it, and I get the credit because I said yes. And so it was a really cool thing. Let me just talk about a strategy from a mission st- standpoint because... Our strategy, our mission strategy, is extremely intentional. I mean, there is there is an absolute method to all the madness. There is a three level kind of platform of mission involvement. There is a local aspect, there is a national aspect, and there is an international aspect, and they all have to work together, and uh, they all have to work in accordance to what our overall objective is. Now, the one one of the key things that we look at in any partnership. We may enter, and we call them partnerships, and we enter into partnerships with, uh, entities and churches. It is who is the, who is the leader of that particular partnership, and do we, and by we oftentimes I mean I, have confidence in what they can do? You saw people come up here, uh, Sunday, um, in all of the partnerships, now there's some were on the screen also. But, you know, the things that I look for, one of the things, and, and you didn't you didn't see the pastor from Atlanta or the pastor for Denver. They had some of the staff. But I look at what I call Matt matt the pastor in Atlanta. Keith is the pa- uh um, is the pastor in Denver. And now Alex is the pastor in uh, Phoenix. What I call them on my staff. If I wouldn't call you on my staff, I'm never going to partner with you. If I was going to start Hispanic work, would I want Ricardo Ramirez on my staff? Absolutely, i don't want him on my staff. And so from our partnerships, it's kind of what we look at. And so what we try to do on a local level is we help churches, any church that is struggling, an existing church that is struggling, that wants us to help, then we will. And we, and we do that. Um, then we do look for certain types of things in a church plant. Hank the reason we're you know we're working with Hank is because Hank's doing a type of, of a ministry that's fundamentally different than what's going on as a cowboy ministry. And it's reaching a segment that we're never gonna connect to. We're not gonna we're not gonna Hank does rodeos and, and rope, but we're not we're not doing that. We're not gonna reach that segment so we can't. One of the difficult things for us was a, a burden to start the Spanish speaking communities, uh, churches in Spanish speaking communities. Because we live in a Hispanic world and culture at 70-some percent Hispanic, we have an obligation, a moral obligation to do that. I have done this a long time and I know how hard it is to start churches in Spanish-speaking areas. The, you know, the white church, you know, the big red-brick white church, and I know we're not red-brick white, but you get it, has a hard time reaching. So our strategy was to find somebody who was being successful doing that. And we found Ricardo Ramirez at Bethesda and Anthony, who had taken over a little Hispanic congregation running 20 and within three years, they're running 165. And he planted a, a church in Sunland Park within a year, running 45. And he's got ideas to plant five or six more. And we our decision was to partner with those. So our strategy a lot of times is to, is locally, is to help what's already existing. Uh, we support a, um, we're helping a church uh, that we were kind of help revitalize. We're giving them from a designated fund. We had money set aside. We're giving them pastoral support. So locally... We spend, from our, our, our missions budget, there's about $20,000 to help the churches. There's $15,000 to help uh, our association. So that kind of counts. And then there's $12,000 this year. We'll go to uh, a pastoral support for another church, for the, one of our local congregations. So there's about four, almost $50,000 just right there. Nationally, we wanted to be a part of the Send City movement of the North American Mission Board. Um, and that's a strategy that came about in 2012, thereabout, uh, where they identified about 30, 33 key cities in North America, read USA and Canada, uh, where about 70% of uh, lost people resided in that neighborhood. So when I was in Bridgeport, at that time in Dallas, I had a burden for the South, and there was only three options in the South. I ended up going with Atlanta. I met Keith. I met uh, Matt. When I came here, you know, I knew that was the best strategy to help nationally. And so we brought working with Keith over. They're doing a phenomenal job. But the two closest Santa cities, the two closest, and I always want to get as close as I can, were Denver and Phoenix. So we began, um, Mike and, and uh, Richard and I went in the end of 2015 to Denver. We uh, met Keith. We all three, right away, all three said he's the guy. And so in November of 2016, we started working with them. At some point, I knew we wanted to add a third, so we looked at Phoenix, was the next closest. Last summer, fall, we did some work with the guys who were heading that up, and I ended up meeting Alex, realized that Alex had a really good vision, and he was good to work with, and so he did there. So on a national level, we have about $30,000 of the budget. It's all in the budget. When you vote on the budget, it's all there, committed. Internationally, it's the difficult one. I I wasn't really sure when I got here what the national strategy was, but I've spent my entire life in Texas and now New Mexico. I've lived on the Rio Grande River three times. I've spent my entire life in Hispanic culture. And that is where my heart is. And I believe if God puts a foreign country on your doorstep, he wants you to go there. Why would we go across the world when there is an unchurched foreign country 30 minutes away depending on who's driving and so I tasked Joe with getting connections and finding the right connection in Juarez, which he did. And we got Miguel. Uh, Joe, what's his last name? Olivares. That's what I was going to say. Uh, Miguel Olivares, yeah, who actually pastors the church, and we're working with him in children's. Home. And I think actually Josh helped us get that, too. Josh Miguel, Is that correct, Joe? Yeah. Okay. Tell me I'm right. Um, and then the other thing is we will eventually move into other Latin countries. Um, and uh, we thought about going to Argentina because that's where Joe's from. But eventually, most likely, we'll end up going to Brazil because one of our own is there and there's that relationship. So we always look for key relationships. We look for key people to build key relationships. And then that's where we move. So that's why you saw what you saw Sunday night. You saw uh, a representative from every church that we work with, except one, um, they couldn't make it, plus a couple extra. You saw some of our own, uh, the Dyes and uh, Hannah, who were over in other parts of the world. We just showed them because they're from here. So that's kind of what the strategy is. And, and on an international level right now, I think our budget's around 12000 Troy. is that right? Something like that. Um, something like that, non-county designated. So, I wanted to kind of make sure you kind of understood that. I didn't want to take all that time Tuesday, Sunday night. I've, I've shared this before on numerous occasions. Sometimes in entirety, sometimes in bits and pieces. It's part of our overall strategy of reaching people and getting them to Jesus the fastest way possible. Part of that is to partner with churches pretty close to us, groups pretty close to us, to help in that process. So, do you have questions from Sunday night at all? I'd love to answer them. Uh, if you have any of that stuff, you may want to know what they're, you may not understand what certain churches are doing, and we we'll be happy to talk about that. If you have questions about any of that stuff. Okay. None at all. All right, well, it's. uh I'll let you go a little bit early then. Uh, Joe's kind of frustrated, but Brian on the other hand is very happy. So, uh, it's just internal battle about how long do we go on Wednesday nights. We go until we're through, and so I'll see you on Sunday.